Let's hit it. There exists a threat from anti-hunting groups to politicians trying to give our land away, and we won't stand for it. Those vast western landscapes provide the space for our wildlife to thrive and a place for hunters and anglers to fuel the fire that sparks their soul. In this show, we share our love of hunting, fishing, and conservation. Here, we provide the foundation to meet these threats through passion and the grit of the American outdoorsman. Welcome to the Western Huntsman Podcast. How you doing? Episode number 32 of the Western Huntsman Podcast. Glad you guys are tuning in. Great to have you here. Um, okay, so we've got a really good episode for you today. I uh, I met a guy named John Gabriel. You've probably heard of him. Uh, but uh, he's he's like this dude that's kind of got his hands in a little bit of all sorts of stuff in the hunting industry. And, and maybe you don't hear a lot about him, but uh, this guy's like a legendary hunter, man. And a really good dude. Glad to call him my new friend. Um, it's going to be, it's going to be just a great conversation with them. So looking forward to that before we get into that real quick, I wanted to give you guys a little bit of, um, it's not like a, it's not like an ad and they don't sponsor the show or anything like that. It's more of like a public service announcement, if you will. (laughs) So for, for those of you guys, if, when you're gearing up for hunting season and, and we're talking about getting, getting the right gear, especially if you're going to be hunting in the back country and out of phone service, and uh, we're talking like satellite messaging and, and, and things like that. I, I got this new unit that I've been trying out um, over the last, I don't know, a couple of weeks or whatever. And I tried it out heavily last week because I was, I was up camped up on, uh, on this river where there's absolutely no phone service. And, you know, a lot of people use the Garmin Mini, which is a fantastic product. Uh, I've used that with a lot of success in the past, and, and there's other Garmin products, and, and there's all sorts of different products. But so the, the Garmin Mini is like, is like 350 bucks, give or take, right? And I found uh, this, this product called a Zolio. And I, I'm not sure how I, I think I like just accidentally came across it. The thing's 199 bucks. You sign up for you know a service, and uh, I, I picked the like the middle one, which is 35 bucks. You're locked in for three months, paying the 35 bucks. After that, you could either turn it off or drop it back down or, or whatever. There's a there's a cheaper monthly service too. If you don't want to, I, I just I opted for the one that gave me like 250 text messages uh, per month or whatever. So the point is, is this thing is it's this little square apparatus that Bluetooths to your phone and allows you to text people. Or send an email and check the weather. It also has the capability to send an SOS message out. So essentially, you've got a 911 service right there, uh, where something to happen, and you're in the backcountry, you need help getting out of there, you need a chopper or whatever. Uh, this thing. So I was a little apprehensive because it's it was 199 bucks. It's a lot cheaper. And I I ordered it, got it, signed up for the service, activated it, Bluetoothed it, set it all up. It's really easy to use. And took it up and had all sorts of conversations with this thing while I'm way out of service. Uh, and where I was camped is some pretty steep, rugged country in terms of, you know, it's like, you know, you're totally surrounded by mountains. It's not like I'm out in a field. 
And I was sending messages day and night with this thing and receiving messages back. And so I just kind of wanted to make you guys aware um, if you are going into the backcountry, I highly, highly recommend you have, whether it's a Garmin Mini or the Zolio device or, or whatever, there's a couple other options out there. There's like the Spot X or something like that I don't know very much about. Um, but I just wanted to kind of, you know, if you guys if you guys are looking for a less expensive option over the Garmin, uh, check out the Zolio. It's Z-O-L-E-O. And you can just order. I, I bought mine on Amazon. Again, 199 bucks. I've probably sent a uh, hundred text messages and received, uh, you know, several back over. And and the point to that was I wanted to test it. I tested it. I had my brother-in-law text me uh, when I had it off, and and then I would turn it back on later to make sure it was saving text messages and I was getting those and it worked great. Uh, had it, it just had great service. It, it it really did a great job for the price point. And so if you guys are going out and you guys are you're in the market for something like that, give it a give it a shot. Uh, Zolio, um, again, they're they're like not a show sponsor. They have no idea I'm announcing this. I'm just letting you guys know. Um, as as like I said, a, a, just another option for you. So hopefully that helps you. Hopefully hey, don't go into the backcountry without some way of letting your you know your spouse. Or, or family, friends, uh, or somebody know where you're going and, and having some kind of communication device because you never know what could happen. Uh, one time I was walking across uh, kind of like a mid-slope on this, this uh, drainage that, that all the scree rock came or, or like this shell rock was kind of, you know, on the trail. And I just wasn't really paying a lot of attention and I slipped and started sliding down. And was able to catch myself on the the one lone bush. I don't even know what kind of bush it was. Before I hit the edge of this kind of a cliffy area, it would have been like a 14 to 16 foot drop. I would have definitely had some broken legs. And had that happened, I would have wanted something to send out an SOS message because I hunt solo almost all the time. I'm, I'm a big time solo hunter. And, and for you guys that hunt solo or if you're with somebody else and, and something happens and like if I would have been with somebody, they would have seen me go off of there. They could have sent out an SOS message or I could have, if I was hunting solo and had this thing, sent out an SOS message and get me out of the mountain. Uh, or off the mountain, uh, however it needed to take place, get search and rescue out there, whatever. You can get lost, you can get injured on deadfall, um, or or just hiking in general, twist your ankle really bad, and and you know, or break something, and you just can't get out. Uh, it, it's imperative that you have something. It's like a lifeline, and so I chose this one because I don't need the GPS part of it, right? I just I because I use Basemap and Basemap is my GPS and it's proved to be uh, very effective for the areas that I'm hunting in and so I just I just kind of couple it with this Zolio device so I can text my wife and say hey I still suck I haven't gotten an elk down <laughs> or whatever I need to or hey I'm gonna be um, I'm gonna be staying on the mountain tonight because I, I I've got a herd of elk in front of me. Or, hey, I got an elk down and I'm not going to be down, be home until 4 o'clock in the morning. Um, you know, anything like that, just casual messages so so your spouse at home or family, they don't worry about it. So, anyway, just to kind of, uh, just a little plug for those guys. I, I was pretty impressed with this uh, piece of equipment and I'm pretty excited to get it out in the field this year and, and use it in the backcountry. So, um, that's, that is that. And, yeah, I was, so I was trying it out this last weekend. Damnedest thing happened. 
I'm I'm up there. I'm I head up. I, I I had a trail camera set at this one spot, right? And so I drive up, uh, and my my wife and kids are with me because they didn't want to stay at camp. It was like not quite warm enough to swim in the river or whatever. So it was kind of evening. So we go. We take this drive. It's like an hour away from camp to go grab this trail camera, and uh, hike up into where I had it set. Grab the trail camera. Had a sweet bull moose on it. One of those crazy looking bull moose that they look like they have elk antlers, but it's definitely a moose, you know, kind of thing. But it's it's kind of getting dark, hard to tell what it is. And so uh, other than that, it was just kind of a not a super productive spot for a trail camera. So I grabbed the trail camera, get back in the back in the truck, start heading back to camp. And I think because of COVID or something, there's a lot of people camping up there, a lot more than usual, a lot more than past years. And, and, uh, I, I think I think that a lot of people they're not going on vacation, so they're going out and buying RVs and trailers, and they're going up and clogging up my damn spots on the river, so it's hard to find camp spots, <laughs> and kind of frustrating sometimes. But I think that because of how crowded it was, it was making a lot of people a little bit ornery up there, and and I don't even know what I did driving back to camp on this dirt road. It's this blue Nissan pickup truck, and he's got like a lift on it. And so if you're listening to this, you're going to know who you are and you're going to know where I'm talking about. And I'm driving down and we go, he's coming, he's coming up the road. I'm going down the road and I kind of slow down and pull a little bit over so he could pass and I wave. And instead of waving back, the dude just flips me the bird. (laughs) And like, I, I don't know why, I don't know what I did. So if that was you and you're listening to the Western Huntsman podcast and you flipped off a dude in a black suburban Dude, come on, send me an email. Tell me what did I what did I do? What did I do to piss you off? I didn't get it. So anyway, that was an interesting interesting little part of the weekend. So anyway, guys, all right, getting back into this interview, we are kicking this off. This guy is uh, this is his name is John Gabriel, and he is part of the Elk Collective. He works with uh, Phelps. He works with Cam Haynes. He does. Uh, uh, he's he's been involved with Born and Raised Outdoors in terms of design and websites and all the stuff that he does. He 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 does a lot of uh, inside work or behind the scenes work, if you will, and um, it's is really cool. In fact, uh, my buddy Nate Davenport designed, who was on the show a couple episodes ago, he designed our logo, and it's uh, Nate's a really good artist. But what I'm going to do is have John make it so that we could put it on T-shirts and and all this this other stuff. Uh, because we couldn't figure out how to make that work as like a vector file or whatever they call that. So me and Nate struggled with that. So I'm sending it over to John. He's going to fix it up for us and uh, make it available so we can put it on hats and T-shirts and stuff. And so that's kind of what he does as a day job, but he's also just like a wicked good hunter, uh, great whitetail hunter, a great elk hunter. And, and he designed the website for the new um, Elk Collective and Phelps Game Calls and uh, he's just uh, kind of an, a super interesting dude that I really enjoyed talking to. And I think you guys are going to get a lot out of this episode. So let me know what you think at Jim at the Western uh, Huntsman.com. Sorry, I, I kind of stuttered my way through that. Jim at the Western Huntsman.com. Check us out on Instagram. Check us out on Facebook and join the group uh, Hunting the West Dash the Western Huntsman on Facebook. Uh, and guys, enjoy the episode. I appreciate it. We're going to have, uh, we're going to have two, by the way, we're going to have two school of September episodes that I have planned for this month. And we are working on those right now. We're going to get them out and, uh, get, get everybody geared up for September. My favorite time of year, hell of a lot better than Christmas. 
can't wait to to see it come up so all right guys have a great week Guys, I am here on the line with uh, my newfound friend, John Gabriel, who is uh, currently living down in uh, Utah, and we're going to talk a little bit about that. And John is kind of one of those guys that you, he kind of sneaks up on you, because I, I didn't know all this before we started recording here. Um, John is, is involved in all sorts of things within the hunting community. Uh, from born and raised to Cameron Hayes to Leupold to PSE to Crispy, First Light, I mean, all this stuff, Phelps Game Calls. And one of my new favorite platforms out there, uh, we talked about on the show with Dirk, uh, the Elk Collective. John, thanks for joining me, man. How you doing? Good. How about you? I'm awesome. I'm, I, I, whenever I'm podcasting, I'm awesome, dude. <laughs> that uh, yeah, that's a good good night there when you're doing that, huh? <laughs> exactly. So, uh, I'm super uh, excited to have you on the show, dude. This is absolutely. Uh, I, thank, you. thank you. We got so much ground to cover. I want to talk uh, first of all, just kind of getting like a bird's eye view of your background, um, and and then we'll we'll kind of delve into all this stuff that that I that I just mentioned. Sure. Um, can it, can you start with that? Where you're from? How you grew up? Things like that. Yeah, so um, I'm, I was born and raised in Auburn, Washington, um, you know, kind of lived there for, you know, most of my life, moved to Bonnie Lake about four or five years after, uh, well, about four or five years ago uh, in Washington there, which is just kind of, uh, you know, by Mount Rainier for, you know, 45 minutes southwest of, C- southwest of Seattle by Mount Rainier for anyone that kind of knows where that's at. Um, and it was kind of, you know, one of those things living on the wet side of the state, they call it. And, uh, I would always kind of travel over to the east side of the mountains and, you know, Northeast Washington, Southeast Washington, Idaho, Montana, uh, you know, other States always doing my hunting over there. And all over um, the Pacific Northwest, right? Yep. Yep. Exactly. So kind of just all over the Pacific Northwest up there. Um, well, I lived in Washington, it's been about 10 years ago. Um, I started a design company, Apex Advertising, um, where I do a lot of design work, um, primarily in the hunting and fishing industries, logo design, web design, packaging, apparel, you name it, um, for a lot of, uh, you know, hunting and fishing companies. Uh, I also, you know, do some real estate stuff, uh, you know, for real estate companies and, um, heck, even dog grooming businesses. And I mean, it, it really branches out. So, um, nothing, there's no job that I won't take on. I kind of like working on stuff outside the hunting industry sometimes just to kind of keep it fresh, but, uh, yeah, you know, so that's, that's my primary focus, um, is design work and, uh, marketing and, and social media, stuff like that. And then, uh, about a year and a half ago now, I moved to Utah with my other half. And now I'm down in Riverton, Utah, uh, trying something new, little new climate and um, in your neck of the woods, I guess. <laughs> yeah, and, uh, I want to I want to talk about that. Like of all all the gin joints in all the world, why Utah? So, yeah, my uh, my other half, she's actually from Holiday here in Utah. And um, 
she, I have my house in Washington and, you know, we were dating and stuff and she's, you know, it's kind of take the next step in our relationship. And, um, you know, she wanted to move up there and, uh, I was like, yeah, I've kind of had enough of Washington. I think I'm ready to move. And, um, I wanted just to get out of the rain and do something different. And my dad back in his early days had a chance to move to Montana for work and ended up uh, meeting my brother and sister's mom. They have a different mom and Mm -hmm. got married, had them and never went to Montana. So when the thought of maybe moving to Utah came up, um, you know, she, my other half was actually in Colorado and um, she was guiding during the fall on with an outfitter over there. And um, so it was kind of like when she was done, like, hey, you know, instead of going home, I'll come to Washington. And I was like, yeah, I think I'm ready to go. So we ended up here. And, oh, gotcha. Uh, we knew it was going to kind of probably be a short stint. And uh, so it'll probably be a couple of years. So we got about another six, eight months here and then um, wait till hunting season's over. And then we'll move to Montana next year, I think. So um, that's... It's- it's super interesting, man. Um, so, so you're living in Riverton. Yep. And I, I grew up in Draper, which is like right next door. And it used to be, so when I was a kid, Draper was this little farming community, right? There was nothing but sheep farms, cattle farms. There was a big dairy farm. Sure. Uh, and then a bunch of alfalfa fields, right? Right. And, and so like it, to go to Riverton, we'd pile into the car. And it was like you left town and you're kind of in this undeveloped, you know, area of the valley, uh, driving past the Jordan River and all this stuff, you know, and then you're in Riverton. Right. And, and, and then you, you left town from Riverton and you drive a little bit and you're in this little teeny uh, just corner of the Salt Lake Valley community called Harriman. And, and it was all separated. And now... Uh, when I go back, when I go down there to visit family and we, we, my wife and I, we, we were living there from 2008 to 2013, I, I, I believe now it's all connected. And, uh, these fields that I used to pheasant hunt and deer hunt and quail hunt and all these, all these things that we used to do. And, and even, even the mountains like South mountain in Draper, we used to hunt and now it's all developed. Right. And so it's, it's like crazy. Uh, when we talked, when we first met and you're like, Oh yeah, I live in Riverton, Utah. I'm like, what are you serious? I, I, that's like my stomping grounds, man. Yeah. Yeah. I know it's, it's weird because I don't know any different. Right. I mean, for me, yeah. I mean, I just assume, I mean, obviously, you know, everywhere gets developed and whatnot. Same thing happened in Washington and where I lived in Bonnie Lake, it was just growing so fast. And that was kind of part of my thing of wanting to get out of there. Um, but coming here, I mean, I'm right on the edge of Harriman and like everything is brand new, like big buildings, like uh-huh. going up and shopping centers. And I mean, it's crazy. All these new houses and new housing developments. And, um, I don't know it, yeah, I guess like to me, I mean, obviously, you know, it's a newer area based on the construction here, but like at the same time, it's, it's weird. I hear guys like you and other people that I've ran into here talk about, they used to hunt, you know, over in Draper and stuff like on corner Canyon and the cemetery and everything. And like, there's huge home tracks there now. Oh, huge developments, man. And we, so we used to, when we got our driver's licenses, we all had pickup trucks. Right. And, and we had the, those CB radios in them. Right. And, and we would go wreak all sorts of havoc up in corner Canyon. Um, Sure. And, and, and we, it was just like, you know, good old fashioned 
fun. It wasn't, we didn't do, we didn't do drugs. We didn't drink. We didn't do all that stuff when we were teenagers. We, we went up there and got our trucks stuck in the mud. Right. Uh, and, and we'd, we'd take these big tires and roll them down those huge pills or hills. There, there was this, uh, a spot that was super open called Widowmaker that, that, that people would drive their, their Jeeps and trucks up, try to get up to the top. And it was uh-huh. a tough, it was a tough climb. And we'd roll these big tires down that thing and they would get going like 200 miles an hour and bounce <laughs> at the bottom the, and they'd fly into the air. It seemed like they were in the air for minutes, right. even though it was only like 10 seconds probably, you know, right, but right. anyway, I don't, I don't mean to sound like an old man. Uh, it just, <laughs> It, I'm not even 40 yet, so I'm not that old. It just happened fast. When I grew up in Draper, there was a grocery store and a video rental store and a Texaco, and the rest was a few scattered houses and farms. That that was it, and now it's like insane there, and that's why we left. Sure. I don't blame you. Yeah, I mean, it, there's like, well, you got the mall right there too, dang near. I mean, just right up by Shields there, Southtown Mall or whatever it is. Yeah, yeah. All the auto dealers and Sandy and everything right there now pouring over into Draper. And, oh, man, it's it's unreal. Like, and now, as you know, I mean, the houses are like pushed right up against the front there. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. Uh, you Going know, up the building, Wasatch. Yeah. Yep. And they're like building as much as they can, even higher up right there on the front. You know, I'm like wondering, like, dang, are they going to? go clear up the face of that thing or what? <laughs> well, they're running out of room so that they don't have much choice. They're going to start going up the mountain. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, so. man. So that's, that's cool. It's, it's interesting seeing somebody, you know, that's, that's come down to that area. Um, because like I said, you know, we were, we were talking Salt Lake city used to be this, this city that was so far removed from us. Right. And you'd go, you know, these big breaks between towns and then you'd finally get to Salt Lake city and now it's just all connected. Yeah. It's super insane. But, um, I want to talk about real quick, you'd mentioned, so tell people a little bit about with like your, you, you do like graphic design stuff, right? Yep. Graphic design, web design, uh, a lot of email marketing, social media marketing, that type of stuff. So I, I need some help with that, first of all. So we should talk a little bit more. I, I don't know what I'm doing, man. <laughs> we can um, talk about that for sure. I suck at this. So, um, but you designed the keep hammering stuff for Cameron Haynes? Yeah. So when Cam actually had his keep hammering, uh, you know, when that whole thing launched, you know, I was the one behind that, um, that made the keep hammering logo and that thing that's on, well, everything now it seems like he's got everything and bows bow line and packs and you know under armor gear like you name it he's got his his logo or his name on everything so um i actually had went on a hunt with cam uh back in 2008 we went to quebec and hunted caribou um and at the time it was with the vp of under armor kit folks and uh so I met Cam, obviously, and I actually won that hunt by writing an, an essay for Eastman's Bow Hunting Journal. And, oh, really? Uh, yeah. And uh, so it kind of just took off from there and stayed in touch with Cam. And I didn't have my business at the time. I, I was doing that type of stuff, but not – it was more real estate driven and not really um, in the hunting industry. And then it kind of slowly started spinning off into hunting. And um, – I, yeah, like was working on some stuff for cam back then and, um, the keep hammering thing kind of came about and then we built that and then I've kind of just managed his website while well, I built his website and, uh, everything ever since. So, 
Um, yeah, a lot of that, it's, that's it's, cool, man. The, the, the keep hammering thing, uh, is so before I was ever, you know, podcasting or even writing for the, the hunting in it, before I was ever involved in the hunting industry, I, you know, right. I've, I've always been a big hunter, but never really been involved other than going to, you know, RMEF banquets and stuff. Um, I, I, so I, my day job, essentially when you, when you strip away all the details of what I do for a day job, it boils down to, I'm a salesman, right? Sure. And salesmen have these highs and lows and we get real motivated and then we get real deflated if we, if we have a few days where things just go south and, and I've always sold in the construction industry. So in my office, I printed out this picture of Cam Haynes gosh, what was, this had to be like 2014 or 2015 or something. I don't know. I don't even know what, whenever that stuff first came out maybe. And I printed out this picture of Cam Haynes that, uh, he's, you know, he's packing out an elk, uh, and, and it says, nobody cares, work harder, keep hammering. Yeah. And, and that's what I, I had that poster. It was like, a, I printed it out poster size and put it in my office so that every morning I can go in and not worry about like, if I get my teeth kicked in at work, just keep hammering, man, keep going and keep being motivated. And, and Cam has a way of motivating people. So that's kind of, that's cool that you're like behind the scenes on all this stuff. Yeah. And, and it's funny because what you talk about right there with Cam and, you know, motivating people and stuff like that, you know, for me, uh, you know, kind of in my teenage years, you know, I was reading, you know, I'm 32 right now, but, um, I was reading, uh, you know, Eastman's bow hunting journal and Cam was writing in that stuff when I was younger. And, you know, it's kind of one of those things you talk about getting inspired. Uh-huh. And yep. It was, it was like, man, like this guy is talking to me and I'm reading his stuff. I'm getting what he's throwing down. And, you know, it was, funny, I, I told my mom back when and uh, in high school there, and I was like, I'm going to figure out a job that I can do that's in the hunting industry and something where I can go hunt whenever I want. Well, let me tell you, if you knew my mom, that was not the best thing to tell her. Like that didn't go over <laughs> very well because she's, you know, like that business woman that's like, no, you're going to go get a job at a fortune 500 company. And like, this is what you're going to do for your life, you know? And yeah, uh, she didn't like the fact that my dad hunted all the time and, and whatnot. And, uh, so the minute I said I was going to make my career and my life in the hunting industry, it, we just, it was like, you know, dumping gas on, on a fire. And, uh, <laughs> we we kind of, we kind of butted heads and she's like, you're not going to do that. Well, I remember I, I had messaged Cam and he's like, you know, back then I'm like, what could I do? You know, that like, you know, how do you get in the hunting industry? Like, what do you do? You know? And I remember like at the time it was just like, find something you're passionate about and just work hard at it and work every day at it and you'll get there. And at mm-hmm. the time, like, I wasn't sure what that was going to be. I knew I enjoyed computer stuff and graphics and whatnot. And, uh, it was weird. Cause I just like, I would always think about that. What Cam said. And it just stuck with me. And back then there was like, it wasn't really social. Like it was like email, like I emailed in and he emailed me back, you know? Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, so anyways, I remembered that and I stuck with it and, you know, here I sit today, I've had the business for 10 years and like, you know, I mean, I'm plugging away and, um, what does your mom think? Oh, she hates it. Like <laughs> she, she hates that fact that, you know, like, I mean, 
you'd have to know that, I mean, her and I, we've always kind of butted heads, but she just absolutely hates the fact that like, I'm able to go hunt kind of when I want, cause I own my own business. And, um, the fact that I'm actually carving out a living and, and being successful, that's not your typical ordinary go get a job, you know, type of thing. It's like, like you though. I mean, it's like, I'm work, I work a ton of hours though. Cause in a sense, like you do sales, I'm kind of in sales, but mm-hmm. you know, it kind of, but it's like, my income, you know, like you, like it can fluctuate and go up and down and whatnot, but it's like the harder I work, the more money I make. And that's what motivates me. Like I never wanted to like work for somebody because I didn't want someone telling me, I mean, obviously I did when I was younger, I had, you know, I worked jobs, but, um, you know, I didn't want someone telling me what I was going to do like every day. And, um, I think it kind of just really motivated me seeing Cam's stuff and, uh, like I can do this, like this guy's doing it. I can do it too. Like, I'm not going to do what he does, but like, I'm going to figure out a way to get there, you know? Yeah, man. He's such an animal. And, and so like, uh, and I, I'm smelling exactly what you're stepping in with that too, because, uh, and that's the reason why I became, I, you know, I didn't mean to become a sales guy, right? I, I, it was just kind of, I fell into it. Um, in the construction industry, because you know, I've 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 been in the construction industry my whole life. But what what somebody told me this old man, his name is Gary, uh, with a company down there in Utah. When I first got out of the Marines, I worked for him, and and he's like, um, they hired me to like work putting in fences, and he's like, now you're you're gonna be you're gonna be a salesman, and so you come in here and you estimate the jobs and you sell them to the customers, I'm right? Like, okay, and he told me he's like, um. You know what? What's funny? He's probably not even retired yet. That old that old dude will work until the day he dies, and he's he's got to be in his eighties now. But anyway, he he told me that the closest thing to owning your own business with the freedoms and the financial freedom that you can you can achieve and all this kind of stuff without the headaches of owning a business is being a salesman. And um, you know that always stuck with me because I do like that, like what you were talking about, the freedom aspect of it. I have a full-time job, but I hunt the entire month of September. And my right. boss knows damn well that I'm not out there selling, but I hit my numbers prior to September and he's all right with it. You know, and so sure. it's it's just a it's just an interesting concept. Um it's very entrepreneurial, like what you're talking about. And I think that that's where a lot of people you know, they they get that mindset where we don't want to like clock in in the morning and hear a whistle that tells us when to go to lunch and then clock out in the afternoon uh, because it's it's like that. It's just like it's there's something super confining about that. And that's where like for my career, that's that's where it led me. And it sounds like for you. And well, let me ask you this for your, uh, with, with your mom, yep. is, is she unhappy with your career choice because you proved her wrong or she just thinks you could have done better in like some fortune 500 company? No, I, I think it's the fact that I went out and proved her wrong and, and did something that like, oh, hold on, I'm out of house home here. Heal, heal dog. I know. <laughs> Guys, I want to spend just a couple of minutes talking about who makes this show possible. Scree, Extreme Mountain Gear. This is high-performance hunting attire and gear 
scientifically tested camo patterns, and it's all backed by a great company that I wouldn't recommend to you if I didn't truly believe in it. The name Scree kind of has a, an origin out of the Scree rock. They changed the spelling on it, but that rock found at the bottom of rock faces and cliffs, particularly in high elevations, real rugged type kind of country. Uh, I've been using Scree for uh, all spring for, for barren turkey, and I'm really impressed with it. I had the founder on a few episodes back, and he said something that really struck me. He wanted to produce high-performance hunting gear, but at a responsible price. It's a real interesting term, and it's true. Everybody knows you can drop a small fortune on name-brand hunting attire. But with Scree, you get the name brand, you get high-performance hunting gear, a lifetime warranty, VIP sizing guarantee, which it doesn't cost you anything to exchange the gear if it comes in the wrong size, and very effective concealment patterns, all without breaking the bank. I really like the bundle options, especially the Elite Starter Bundle. It's like a really good deal, perfect for September and October hunts all over the American West. Uh, you should check it out. It's a great way to get started in the gear and, and begin with your layering systems. Uh, Scree offers a complete layering system for all terrains and all conditions. And it's it's just a great deal, especially, again, that, that Elite Starter Bundle. Oh, and if you use the promo code the Western Huntsman at checkout, you'll get 15% off and free shipping. That's a big deal. Great gear, great company. It's a great story. It's a whole package. Check it out. The link is in the show notes, guys. Phelps Game Calls. One thing I love about the companies born out of hunting is their story. The American success story that walks us through how something started small and grew into something spectacular. Phelps Game Calls is quintessential to this. Jason Phelps started making calls as a hobby in 2009, wanting to make a more realistic sounding, right? Now, 11 years later, Phelps is one of the premier hunting call companies on the planet and for good reason. It's a great story, and Phelps is just filled, it's one of those companies that is just filled with excellent, first-class, salt-of-the-earth kind of people. I've been calling elk with, uh, with Phelps for a long time, uh, and long enough to know that it's an effective, realistic, it's a durable, and easy-to-use call. I gave my teenager a Phelps read last summer to learn on, uh, before September, you know, and like a month later, she was bugling bulls in with me. It's the same exact read I use as an advanced caller, so they're great for beginners and advanced callers as well. So I'm a huge fan of the Phelps game, uh, elk calls, but I also use their predator calls. The fawn in distress call has been my go-to for bears this spring. I also called in a few turkeys with the black bat turkey read. They also have waterfowl calls, and they're coming out with some new deer calls. Hit up the website and check it out. The link's in the show notes. And if you find something you like, use promo code HUNTSMAN10 for 10% off. Whether you're just getting started or have expert-level calling skills, check them out. Phelps, get them close. Man, that that dog sounds pretty ominous, man. What kind of dog is that? There's two. Uh, We we have a golden doodle and a labradoodle. And uh, the freaking golden doodle is 100 pounds and the labradoodle, she's like 58 they're big dogs and you <laughs> yeah. know, but they're, they're the nicest dogs you ever meet, but they're like terrorists when it comes to anyone coming home or they hear noise or anything. And it's <laughs> like, we're going to, we're going to tear apart the mailman, you know? Hey, I yeah. heard those, I heard those golden doodles, uh, can make pretty good bird dogs. Is that true? I have no, I didn't, I haven't tried to be honest with you. I, I don't know. Hmm. Um, it maybe I, I would, I don't know. They're popping up everywhere though. I'll tell you that. Like yeah. everywhere here in Utah, everyone's got one now. Interesting. Um, cool. Yeah. So, 
So okay. you've done you've done work with with Cam Haynes, like we said. You've yep. you're behind the scenes at Phelps Game Calls, which is a big deal. Yep. And full draw film tour, born yep. and raised. Am I missing yep. anything? Um, I mean, I've done stuff for Kefaru and um, I, honestly, I mean, first light. Uh, first light's a sponsor, like more of, of ours. Um, it, but I mean, I've I've you know kind of joined in with some of our marketing efforts for them uh, through like Phelps and stuff like that, and then mm-hmm. um, you know some of the others. Um, but they're kind of more of a sponsor for us, um, us with Phelps and whatnot. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's there's a ton of companies out there. I mean, I, honestly, I I got I've done stuff for all state and like some bigger companies, I mean, state farm and stuff like that, um, you know, outside of hunting, but hunting wise, um, well, I did some stuff for mountain ops back in the day. Um, like when they were first kind of getting going, those are Um, good people, man. I I like those guys over at at mountain ops. Yeah. Are they as good as they, they come across? Yeah, they're, they're awesome guys. I mean, I've known them since back when they actually even started mountain ops and, what a lot of people don't know is before they started mountain ops, they actually owned a graphic design company. Oh, and, no kidding. Yeah. And Ooh. so called Zulu six. So I've known them for, you know, years because obviously before they mountain ops came around six years ago, um, they were over doing design work, what I'm doing. So, um, yeah, Interesting. they're, they're awesome guys. So, um, but yeah, I mean, you name it, I've done stuff for, a lot of a lot of people out there. We did some stuff actually. I don't know if you know who Catching Deers are. Yeah, uh, Catching Deers, man. I bought I bought a bunch of their uh, shirts and a hat. Oh, there you go. Yeah, yeah. They're they're awesome guys, Ryan and and Bud and those guys. And um, I just actually did a bunch of stuff for them. Um, and so that that was a cool cool thing to do. Where uh, are they based out of? They're out of well, actually. Canada out of Ontario and, and, and Alberta and stuff. But, um, I think the company itself's out of Tennessee, if I remember right. Um, that's I right. That, okay. That's yeah. I, th- I, put. I think that's what I remember too. When I ordered it, it was, it was something was coming from like back East somewhere or something, but, um, yeah, no, that's, that's fantastic. That's why I said to you guys listening out there that John, he kind of sneaks up on you. He's like this He's like this wizard behind the scenes for all these these, these hunting uh, brands, and I think that we need to add the Western Huntsman to your your docket, man. Um, hey. All sorts of stuff I need help with. Yeah, I'm happy to help you. Just say the word. <laughs> all right, and and let's talk about the Elk Collective. You've you've gotten involved with uh, with Dirk and and Jason, obviously, who who are uh, you know they're Jason owns Phelps Game Calls and Dirk yep. Dirk. Uh, He's kind of gone, taken on the, the the sales and marketing manager role over there. Yep. And uh, uh, Dan. what's that? Then we got Dan Staten. Yeah, Dan over at Elk Shape. Yep. And who's a super cool dude. Me, him, and I are gonna we're bound to connect at one one of these points. We keep missing each other. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, he's a cool dude, man. And I'm 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 a little worried to meet him because I'm 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 kind of out of shape compared to what I'm usually. <laughs> you know, running and, and, uh, I've kind of, I don't know this, I think this pandemic has kind of made me a little sluggish. So I'm like, man, if I meet Dan, he's going to be like, you're just a fat son of a, well, <laughs> I better watch my mouth. But the, the um, thing with Dan, I'll say real quick is you talk about Cam Haynes motivating people mm-hmm. and Dan, I'll put Dan with like Cam. I mean, 
I've known Dan for years. And I mean, actually back when I won that hunt with Cam back in 2008, Dan and I, you know, we'd kind of obviously living in Washington and he applied for that hunt too. And, um, I ended up winning. Well, regardless, Dan, and I kind of been in touch, but ever since like, and especially working on this elk collective stuff, I will say Dan is probably like up there with one of the most motivating people that I know. Like when he talks, you just listen mm-hmm. and he's got a good way of, of motivating you. And, and I'll say, we talked about the job thing to circle back on that real fast. And, uh, it kind of is like one of those things. Some people need structure. They need that nine to five clock. They need someone to tell them what to do. And then there's other people who can be salesmen or own their own business. And you're just kind of like naturally self-motivated and you just, you're a go-getter and you just go make it happen. And it's like, I could sit at home and work on my computer for 12 hours a day and I don't need anyone to tell me what to do, you know? Yeah. And, and Dan, like he'll call and he gets like this idea and he just talks. But when he talks, like you're all ears and like you listen. You just pump. And it's like, yeah. And it's like, by the time he's done talking, you're like, yeah, we're getting this done. We're doing it. I don't even know <laughs> what we're doing, but we're doing it, you know? And, and so like, That's I my love, kind of people, man. I love it. Yeah. And I just love when Dan talks. Cause it's like, you're, you're just motivated. Like he could be talking about like, we're going to go buy an apple from the store and like, man, everyone's on board, you know? And so <laughs> like, I do love that aspect about Dan and, and having him a part of this thing. Cause he is, he's just a, he's got so many good ideas and he's just good at conveying messages and getting things across. And, um, you know, it's like, I'm so busy. I'll be honest. Like I'm swamped with work all the time. And it's like, I just love cause Dan will kind of like, Hey, let's, let's do this. Let's get that. And like, you know, we're all on the same page. And so he's kind of like steering the ship a little bit, you know? And, and I, mm-hmm. I don't know, you got to get him on. He's a good dude. Yeah. I'd love to, I'd love to talk to him. I, I actually, uh, I was going to sign up for his uh, program. He's got this, yeah. he's got like this online workout regimen Yep. on, on elk shape. And I think it's elkshape.com or something, but uh, I, I, I was looking through that and, and uh, just cause it'd, it'd be nice to have some kind of direction with that. I always do the normal, you know, I, I hike a lot. I, uh, I do weights and work out the core and all that kind of stuff, but I, I just, I want to like take it to the next level. Right. And, and, sure. um, and, and I feel, I, and I've watched Dirk, you know, Dirk is like a stud muffin this year. Yeah. You know what I mean? And, and I know he's working with Dan with that and, uh, he's all sort he came into the studio a few weeks ago and I'm like, geez, man, that's a big difference from when I saw you around Christmas last year. Sure. And, and sure. if Dirk, he's ancient, he's old, he's like, he's got to be five or six years older than me. If yeah. he could do it, I could do it. Oh yeah. Dirk, Dirk, I, I don't know. Dirk, you're going to listen to this, but you got to be pushing 50, man. Like yeah. all those gray hairs, like, right. I don't know. I'm nervous. I'm, I feel like Phelps, Phelps, Dirk and I are going to New Mexico this year to hunt elk in September. And mm-hmm. I, I feel like, um, you know, Jason just, I don't know if you saw it, but he just bought this Can-Am four seater side by side. Yeah, yeah, man. I saw that thing. That thing is badass. It is. It's cool looking. And I, I said, I feel like we all need race suits, you know, and like helmets when we go wearing that or riding in that thing to go hunt. And I feel like we're going to need to get like, like one of those ambulance boards and strapped to the top of the <laughs> and ask for Dirk. I think Dirk's just gonna, you know, he's getting up. So he's going to need, you're going to have to make some room in his pack for some depends. Yeah, exactly. You know, who exactly. knows? 
Yep. You don't know what's going to happen. So. Uh, oh, geez. No, I love Dirk too. He's one of my favorite peeps, man. He's, he's, uh, he's been so far my favorite guest to have on the show and he's been on the show a couple times. Sure. Uh, yeah. and he brought his buddy Doug Flutie at one point too. Oh, good old Doug. Yep. Yep. So, um, so this elk collective, you started with these guys, which yep. is like, this is a great combination. You've got all this like marketing and graphic design and website experience and, and computer stuff. Yep. And, and you're, and, and you set that aside. You're a crazy good hunter. Like I have checked out your Instagram and your Facebook before we started recording. And you've got some serious hunting stats that we need to kind of, uh, digest here on the show. Uh, particularly your whitetail hunting. But before we get into that, I, I, I kind of want to circle back to the elk collective a little bit. Yep. Can I, cause we we've heard a couple of different perspectives like from Dirk and uh, from Dan and I've, I've gone through, I just better, well, you and I, that's how we connected is I was trying to figure out how to log in and get registered and all that. And um, I, I, w- I was having a tough time because I'm not, I'm not known to be, you know, one of the smarter people uh, out there, but <laughs> we figured it out. I got on there, watched a few videos and I kind of want to hear your take on the Elk Collective, what, what it is, what it offers, why people would benefit from being a member of the Elk Collective. Can you kind of expand on that? Yeah. So uh, the collective, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of an interesting concept, um, you know, because like Dan and Dirk and Phelps, like we all kind of came together and we were talking about it. And, you know, the biggest piece to the collective is the word collective. This whole thing has been brought together with numerous people from the industry, uh, you know, in their elk hunting skills and not just necessarily elk hunting skills. Uh, you know, we got shooting coaching skills, um, you know, then you got like Ryan Lampers on there talking about, you know, his nutritional side of things and his little, you know, kind of hippie side with his gardening and, and, you know, that, that type of thing, which I love. <laughs> kind of hippie know, side. I like that. I like, yeah. That. Like he, he gives you like some perspective on, you know, different things that he does and eats and, and does, you know, gardens and type of things and stuff he packs in the woods that mm-hmm. most of us don't think about. It's like you go to the store and you're like, oh, I need some beef jerky sticks. Uh, I need some beef jerky sticks and I need some, uh, you know, protein bars and, oh, I'm going to get some candy and throw up my pack and some dehydrated meals and go, you know? Yeah. And he's over here making all these meals and dehydrating his own meals and stuff like that. And, um, you know, and gardening and it's just cool. It is cool, that. man. Lampers has got to be like one of the most interesting dudes in the hunting community. He, he's a super interesting guy. Yeah. Um, and, and he's just an animal like Cam Haynes. Haynes, yep. you know, we were talking about Lampers is a freaking animal, man. That yeah. guy, that guy can, he can get after it. So that's cool. I didn't know he was involved because I haven't, I haven't gotten that far into the collective here, but, but kind of what you're saying is the idea is instead of like just one opinion or, or one individual's, uh, experience, which can go a long way if, if, um, if your personality or your motivation level or your fitness level, all these things kind of align when, you, when you've got one person kind of mentoring you, whether it's online or in person or whatever, uh, there's only so far that could take you. But with a collective, 
It's just a lot more dynamics. There's a lot more perspective and personalities. And you could, you could just kind of, what, I, what I'm learning is you can glean a little bit from each individual throughout the collective. And all of that just adds to the, the, the quivers, the, the, yep. in, you know, the, the ammunition or, or the tools that you have in your toolbox when you go to the field. Yep, exactly. And that, and that was the whole point of this thing is to have different views and perspectives because the way I might do something, Dirk might do it a little different. Phelps might do it a little different. You know, Dan might, Aaron Snyder, he's in there. He might, Lampers, um, Joel Turner, you know, I mean, it's like Zach Bohey, Brian Barney, like there's a lot of people and we also have some more coming here. Um, we have some stuff from born and raised guys that'll be thrown in there. Um, and nice. some other stuff coming down the pipe, but, um, you know, it, it's interesting because we all love hunting. We've all been fairly successful at it, but we all might do things a little different. And I've hunted with Phelps. I mean, he's one of my best friends, you know, and we've known each other for years and growing up and, and whatnot. And, um, but it's like some of the stuff that Phelps might think or do, I might think or do something just a little bit different, but at the end of the day, we're both notching tags. And so I guess that's kind of the, the principle of the collective is to get as many opinions and as many views and as many different little scenarios and theories on things and, and just tips and tactics and tricks on certain things. I mean, you know, we're going to diving into all sorts of things, not just elk hunting. I mean, you know, there's obviously calling and scenarios and stuff, but I mean, the food stuff, loading your pack, fitness, um, we are doing some stuff on coming up here on like long range shooting and reloading, um, archery coachings on there. Um, you know, there's, shooting. I, I mean, it's, it's so much information it what is. talking about like, and, and people might be, Cause what is it? Is it like 120 bucks or something to be a member? Yeah. 119. Right? Yep. Okay. So <clears throat> for, for you listeners that, that have never like signed into this or, or, or have, have not become a member yet, like just to give you an idea and, and I'm not, this is not some big ad for the elk collective, but um, it's, it's an impressive website and the content is super impressive. There's all these different segments like welcome to the elk collective. There's, there's getting started calling elk, uh, tactics, scouting, execution, fitness and nutrition, gear, backcountry readiness. And, and I'm, I, I'm not spilling the beans, right? It's okay if I say all this yep, stuff. Yep, yep. Shooting processes, archery, director's cut, which is going to be uh, like Phelps and all these guys that maybe take some of the stuff that they've, they've been filming over the last several years and putting it in that section. You can learn a lot out of uh, backcountry mills, elk shape camp. I mean, it, this is just a, a freaking ton of information. It's awesome. Yeah. There's, there's over 83 different videos that are on there right now. If you watched them all, uh, there's, there's 83 and I think there's over like 1700 minutes of video, mm -hmm. uh, at this point. And we also have something else that we're getting ready to launch here. That's coming up that we can't talk about quite yet. Um, but it's going to double the size of that thing. And, um, come on, you could tell me this is the Western Huntsman. This is where, this was where Dirk announced the elk collective. You can't, you can't divulge, huh? We're, we're waiting. Well, we're, we're working out just some details here first before, before <laughs> we do that. Um, but it'll, it'll be out soon, but it's, um, going to double the size of that. 
but we also have a ton of videos that are in the works right now. Um, like Dirk just did some trail cam stuff. I'm doing some tree stand setup stuff. Obviously we kind of hinted on the whitetail thing a little bit. Um, but I, I'm doing some tree stand stuff for elk and kind of filming that stuff throughout the fall here. Um, tips and tactics on that. We are also throwing in some tips and tactics uh, on other species, not just elk. That'll kind of be like, hey, here's some other stuff, you know, for later in the fall here as you guys start cycling off of elk and chasing deer. Did, uh, John, did you say that you're doing elk in a tree stand kind of, like you're hunting elk from a tree stand kind of thing? Yeah, and, and I've actually killed my second biggest, uh, third biggest now, third biggest bull in Washington, or in, I've ever killed, but in Washington, I shot out of a tree stand. No and, kidding. Yeah, back in 2007, and um, my dad actually shot two bulls out of that same tree stand, and um, yeah, I've kind of... That's kinda, crazy. Yeah, taking and you, my... you're bow hunting doing that? Yep, bow hunting, sitting in Are a tree you... stand. And I, I bring that up because I just had a conversation. In fact, it's it's uh, this week's episode that's being released, uh, which by the time this particular one you and I are doing is going to be a couple weeks out. But uh, while we're recording it, this week is with my buddy Nate Davenport, who's like the only dude I've ever met that shot an elk from a, from a tree stand, and he called the damn thing in. Are yeah. you calling him into your tree stand? Yeah. So the one that I killed, I called in. Um, and so he, I was cow calling and, and I actually bugled and, um, he came in about, I don't know, half hour, 45 minutes later, looking for the cows and walked right into 30 yards and I shot him. And, uh, my dad, what we would do, we kind of had this river bottom and, um, we knew the elk would travel up this river bottom and, um, during the rut and, uh, it's, we're, I mean, we're up in the high country though. I mean, so I say river bottom, like we're still up in like, you know, kind of some of the highest country you can kind of find in, in Washington there. But, um, yeah. Any, anyways, we kind of had this whole thing figured out and my dad, we'd get in the tree stand and we'd do like four five, six cow calls, kind of sit quiet and wait like 15 minutes, do four or five, you know, little mews again, maybe wait 20, 30 minutes, do a couple, two, three mews, just, just enough. That's like, Hey, there's a cow or two over here, but like, you're not sitting there just blowing, you know, cow call after cow call. Um, and it's amazing. I mean, we actually, I don't even remember how many bulls we called into that thing, but, um, they would, you know, sometimes not come all the way in, but they'd come out of the brush looking around and, you know, just kind of, you know, you wouldn't get a shot at them or whatever, but it's crazy. It worked. Like, I mean, we were calling them in and, uh, you know, we, we were pretty successful at it, but then all of a sudden one year it was like, just boom, dead. And that area of the elk did kind of like die off for some reason. We we're not sure. And, um, you know, it, it really kind of suffered, but, um, yeah, I, I've, that's, that's insane, man. Yep. The tree stand that, thing has been kind of a, kind of a cool deal. And, and I've mainly learned it from my whitetail tactics and, and took it to the elk woods in a sense. And so I'm kind of doing the same thing here in Utah this year too. And so I'm, just, I don't know, trying something different. Yeah. Well, it's, it, I think there's, there's a lot to, uh, there's a lot to be said for thinking outside the box and trying some of these whitetail tactics on mule deer. And, and what I mean by that is, so when, when I first got into whitetail hunting, I sucked at it, man, because I was a mule deer hunter and I, I don't know, I didn't know anything about whitetails. Sure. And so when you, we have these like legitimate whitetail guys like you, 
and uh, my my buddy that I've had on the show, Troy Pottinger, kills oh, no, his, yeah, he just he's a wicked whitetail hunter, right? And yeah. um, I, I think that when you take what you know about mule deer and apply it to whitetail, it's not as effective as if you take what you know about whitetail and apply it to mule deer. And so right. I'm super interested to find out how your season goes on, because I know what tag you have for, yep. for that Utah unit. And, and, um, and you know, as well as I do, there are some monster muleys up there. Yep. Um, it's, it's pretty tough country though, man. That's some steep, that's some steep country up there. It is. It's, it's, rugged. <laughs> it's a, so, it's a bugger, yeah. but, uh, that it's a great unit, man. It's a great unit. I'm so excited that somebody is hunting that, uh, cause I, I used to hunt there as a kid. Sure. So, um, what I, can you kind of like expand on what you mean by taking some of your whitetail tactics after these mule deer and, and how you're going to morph and adapt and, and, and what, what, how that's going to take place. How, how's that going to go down? Yeah. So kind of, you know, one, one of the things, you know, when I'm whitetail hunting and whatnot, um, you know, and I do primarily most of my whitetail hunting in Washington. I, that's obviously where I grew up hunting them and, and really learned a lot over the last 15 years hunting them there. And, um, it's, it's interesting learning those deer because a lot of guys talk about mule deer and you know, how tough they are to hunt. And in my opinion, I mean, I've hunted whitetails long enough and, and I know like it might not be necessarily as, as physically demanding where you're climbing hills and, you know, 2000, 3000 vertical feet chasing a mule deer and through the snow and stuff like that, um, where you're going and getting in a tree stand whitetail hunting, but the deer are so skittish and they're alert and they know what's going on and it's hard to kill a big mature whitetail buck. And um, so hard, man. It is super hard. Yeah. And you, and you can't, it's not like mule deer where you can go out and spot one 300, 500 yards, thousand yards across a Canyon, you know, and especially with a gun and just blow it over like whitetail are, you know, living in thicker cover and, and the big bucks don't show themselves in the daylight as much. And so, um, you know, it, it's kind of thinking about that strategy and, and stuff that I do to kill those whitetail and where I'm looking for them and, and that type of thing. And one thing kind of coming down here to the mule deer grounds and I really kind of started thinking about was, okay, last year I hunted them. I didn't have tree stands set up. I didn't have anything set up. It was literally, I'm like battling guys, you know, and, and stuff like that, like opening morning type of thing, sitting in the basin and in, in this hillside, like my basin and then down this, this drainage, we had 21 bucks there opening morning. And I'm like, oh slam dunk, you know, like in my mind, I'm thinking I'm going to put these things to bed, just sneak around over there and I'm going to go kill one, <laughs> and, uh, you know, and it all seemed perfect. Everything was good until all of a sudden I got two guys that pop in the basin and they're literally going straight at the deer in the wide open, like right at daylight. And I'm, I'm just sitting here thinking this ain't going to go good. And, uh, the deer scatter, peel back in the timber and, of course now they're spooked and I already had this game plan, you know, for like a week up to season, like this is what's going to happen. These deer are doing this every day, game over. And, um, well, long story short, I started thinking after everything that went on last year, my buddy and I both missed two giant bucks, like 15 seconds apart. 
And uh, that was kind of after I was like, we need to adapt some some tactics for my whitetail stuff here, like midweek in this mule deer game. And I and, right right there, John. I, <clears throat> I want to make the distinction. <clears throat> excuse me, that when you're talking about whitetail hunting and the tactics, because I, I and we haven't really talked about this, but so the listeners know, like you are a legitimate whitetail hunter. First of all, uh, you've smoked some huge bucks. And you've, you've, got, you've got a lot of uh, experience. But the distinction that I want to make is we're not talking about Midwest farm, private land type kind of hunting. We're talking private land, or I'm sorry, we're talking public land, Western mountain whitetail. Yeah. Uh, and, and I just want that distinction to be known before we go any further. And sure. I, sorry if I got you off, off topic there, but uh, nope. I, I feel like we, we need to make that distinction that we're not talking about this isn't like a high fence or a private property or, or somewhere where we're, uh, you know, creating like a, a food plot or something for, for these big bucks to come in on. You're hunting public land, whitetail bucks, and you've got a lot of, uh, you've had a lot of success with it. And so with that said, uh, carry on. Yeah. And so I, I think kind of one of the things that you hit on there, it's like all my whitetail hunting is all public land in the mountains. And um, so I'm kind of used to hunting them. Um, where I've had to deal with other people from time to time and, and try to outsmart the people, you know, as much as I am the deer and, um, looking for places where these deer are going to cross, where they're going to bed, um, you know, where, where they're, especially, you know, bigger bucks as they start getting older, where are they really going to hold up until the rut starts and try to figure that out and pattern them and, um, you know, look for, some of those areas, finger ridges and stuff that run down and where those whitetail and are going to run down through the timber and where they're going to hit a bench and that, you know, there's like a certain trail and, and a lot of the deer, like the whitetail, the does will use a certain trail and the big bucks actually will use like a secondary trail off to the side. Mm -hmm. And, and knowing those things and knowing where to set up and get the wind and how to sneak in there and, and those type of things. And, um, just everything I've kind of learned from that over the years. And I kind of started like watching these mule deer and I'm like, man, the does are kind of doing this, but these bucks are doing that. But the big bucks, man, here's what they're doing. Like they follow these little bucks kind of into the timber, but all of a sudden, if you're watching the big buck will peel off and he goes over here and you can kind of catch glimpses of him in like a meadow or going through the timber, you know, spotty or whatever. And every time like these big bucks would start circling and like doing their own thing. And, um, so I really kind of started honing in on that and there was this little saddle and, uh, these big bucks, when they started getting pressure, they were peeling back into the timber on the, on the other side, North facing side, obviously to bed during the day when it's hot in August. And, um, I, and we would see them a couple of days kind of right at dark, they were coming out of the timber and I was like, huh, we need to figure out a way to get over there. And this is kind of the couple trails that they're going on. Like we, we need to go and make like a ground blind or a tree stand in that situation would have been awesome to get off the ground and get some scent. But I'm not packing a tree. I, well, at that time, I didn't want to pack a tree stand that far in there because it just seemed like a ton of work. And uh, anyways, we made this ground blind and figured it out. And I, I knew that these all the other deer were kind of going lower and going on different trails but these big bucks were like focused on these couple little like patches through these rocks and stuff. And, um, and they're still bachelored up in August. Yeah. Yep. And, but 
as you know, I mean, though, it's like they're, they're bachelored up, but like the true big bucks, they mm-hmm. kind of do their own thing. Like there's yeah, they're like be, the nomads. Yeah. There might be one or two, maybe two or three, but like they're kind of in their own zone. And then there's like the other 10 that are like nice bucks, but little guys. And, and they're just kind of over here like, Oh, Hey, we're all going to hang out together and we're going down together, you know? Mm-hmm. And, uh, but the big guys, they're, they're not dumb. Like they, they still are very smart deer, even though they're in velvet and they're doing their own thing. And so my buddy and I, we made this ground blind and got everything set up and we're at least four. Well, there was a couple of decent bucks, but they started feeding around the top of this basin to us coming from the other way. And long story short, these big bucks, I hear clicking coming behind me and I was supposed to be on lookout. I wasn't doing a very good job to being a good hunting partner there. And, um, I look over and this like 185 inch buck walks out next to me. And, um, my buddy was, was ready and shoots and he was behind this little rock ledge below me and hits this rock ledge, blows his arrow up and the bucks run back. I grab, jump up, grab my bow, draw back. And the other bucks like 175 inch buck. And they both stop facing each other at 50 yards. I shoot the buck ducks. I barely like just clipped off his back. And, uh, they both take off in the timber. So we miss both these big bucks that we've been watching for several days within literally 15 seconds of each other. But you know, yeah. you know where an interesting little distinction is right there, what you're, what you're talking about. Cause you're in a ground blind, right? Right. Like, so your buddy shoots, it deflects off the rock and the yep. bucks kind of, they, they kind of scurry on out of there for a minute, but then they stop and look and yep. give you that second opportunity. I yep. feel like whitetails never give you that second opportunity. Oh, they'd be gone. They'd be I never, gone, man. Like aliens abducted them. They're gone. You'll never see them again. Yeah. And, and like the mule deer, like they got spooked when obviously the arrow was at, you know, basically 10 yards and my buddy hit that rock and it blew up. I mean, like they, they definitely freaked out for a second, but they ran back. And, and so one of the things that I do, and you know, and you hear people do it on TV and when I'm whitetail hunting, when I have one of my bucks come in, uh, I'll do like a, like, you know, try to stop them uh-huh. and uh, get my shot. Well, when those bucks ran back, I was on the ground, grabbed my bow, jumped to my feet, drew back and made that noise. And both those bucks froze. Like they both stopped facing each other and both, both of them, you know, kind of were like, what's that? And, yeah. but a whitetail would have been going a hundred miles an hour. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that only works if they're not spooked to, to give them that little meh sound. It, and Yep. But once yep. those, that's a, that's a one thing. And, and I, I don't know if it's like, it's, it, it's really a lot to, has a lot to do with like Utah mule deer and Colorado mule deer are a little bit different than the Idaho and Washington mule deer in that sense that I, and maybe it's just cause I don't have a lot of experience, but I, I, I and I've said this on the show before, the biggest mule deer I've ever got was in Washington. And, uh, but I've got a lot more experience in Utah and they always kind of give you that second look unless you're, you know, throwing a 30 out six round at them. Yeah. yeah that, that's different Then they'll boogie, but right. Uh, right. Even sometimes then they'll kind of give you a second look like what was that, you know? Uh, yeah. But I, I, I'm super interested in this topic of the differences between whitetail and mule deer. And, and we've talked about it a few times on the show before, but uh, I really want to get like your take. You miss those mule deer. Yep. And, and they scurry on out of there. And now you got to tag kind of a second shot at them this year in that same unit. Yeah. And so I kind of, I'm hunting somewhat the similar area kind of, but I also explored some new areas this year. 
and kind of really was trying to figure out, okay, last year bucks were feeding out in these open areas. And every time I'd see them, they would always go back into the timber. So I, this year I went up right as the snow. I mean, heck I was up there and there was still five feet of snow on the ground in the timber. And, um, I, I kind of let it start melting and I would keep going back up and I'm, and I'm looking for kind of like my whitetail strategy of the does always take these main trails, but the big bucks would always kind of take these secondary trails. So I started kind of just scouting around and getting in the timber. Like I don't care about the open areas. Like uh, last year I did cause you know, I'm trying to learn the country and I thought I was going to spot and stalk these deer, but there's just people and you're not, going to spot and stock deer when you have three other guys, five other guys hunting in the same basin, you know, I mean, exactly. they're, they're chasing these deer all over. And so you're kind of playing defense. And, um, so this year, my strategy has not been once. I don't care about the open areas. I want to go in the timber and I've really dove down in the timber and, and tried to find some spots and, and beds and rocky outcroppings in the timber, uh, trails that aren't very heavily traveled, but you can tell that, Hey, there's one or two deer that travel these trails and it's probably a big buck. And, uh, I'm going to set a camera here and and check this type of thing. Mm -hmm. And so I started doing that. Well, it is whatever, July 21st today. And I went up on Sunday, checked my cameras. One of my cameras, I actually had 3,000 pictures in nine days on that camera. And I somehow corrupted the stupid SD card by the time I got it home. And so, <laughs> oh, man, that nothing pisses me off more than when oh, that happens. I, I Man, I, I get like outrage over that. Dude, I was like heartbroken, you know, because I'm like, oh, finally, I figured out this spot, these deer. And it's kind of one of those spots where it's, it's a later in the summer spot and the deer are finally like getting there because the snow's kind of melted and it's up super high. And, um, now the deer are finally there and I'm like, Oh yes. Like I'm going to see my big, big buck, you know, finally. And, um, long story short, I don't know what's on it. So I'm gonna have to go back and check that camera next week and figure out what the heck's going on. But, um, I checked a couple other cameras and kind of more of these spots, like I was saying about, well, it looks like there's a deer or two here, but not a ton, but you know, here's a better two. And well, I checked on my cameras and I actually have two solid four point bucks on there. And, um, one of them, he's got brows and he's a four by four. And I mean, it's July and I've heard, I mean, you might be able to actually tell me, and, and I've heard guys say that here in Utah, a lot of these deer put on a lot of their inches, uh, um, like right now in the last part of July and beginning of August. And, and I don't know if it's cause stuff's greening up, but like their time length, they really kind of start growing like pretty fast right now. I mean, big bucks, yeah. big bucks, but they really kind of put on their last little bit right, right now. I um, would agree with that. I think that because you're talking about high elevation bucks and, and this is simply the theory of a simple minded dude, right? That's all I am. But I, I think that what happens in, in, in these high country areas like like what you're talking about because what kind of what kind of elevation are we talking about there where, where you're um, on i don't want to give away the unit we're but we're i would six, say seven eight eighty five hundred and ten five okay that's that's yeah uh because in the valley you're like 4500 yeah, yeah that sounds about right to me okay yep. so um my theory is, is the snow stays up there a little bit longer. So the vegetation takes like, is like a month behind the rest of the country 
uh, or the West, I should say, for the normal elevations. And when I say normal, I'm talking two to 6,000 feet elevation. And, and I feel like the vegetation takes a little bit longer after that snow melt because of those high elevations to get the real nutrients into it. Right. And, and, and so, I, so what you said, I heard that growing up too is we'd see these bucks in uh, around the 4th of July weekend. And these old timers would tell me, well, wait a month, come back in a month and you'll see these, these same bucks and they'll be a lot bigger. They'll have a lot more, they'll have a lot more antler growth and uh, they'll just be a lot more impressive. So there's something to what you're saying for sure. Yeah. And, and so I'm, I'm kind of, cause I, I was checking my cameras in like the, in June, you know, middle, beginning of June, end of June. Mm-hmm. And like I had a couple of bucks that, you know, you could tell were going to be four points at that point and they were just okay. But then it was like July and the snow started melting. And this year we've had a really hot, dry summer and um, it all of a sudden the snow kind of started melting and things started greening up. But I literally, I have one buck and between about the beginning of July and this last week, so a couple of weeks, I mean, he literally blew up. I mean, he's like, 20 inches bigger in like (laughs) no time. You know, I mean, like he's a big defined four point now with brows. And I mean, I'm curious what the next couple of weeks are going to bring. Cause if he keeps going, I mean, he's going to be like 180, 90 inch deer, you know, I mean, he's going to be. Yeah. Yeah. And that's exciting. It is. And so back to this whole thing though, of finding these spots. So I, I, last year I didn't want to pack tree stands in there and starting out this summer too. I was like, I'm not, no, there's no way I'm doing it. And I'm like, it's too far. And it's, you know, just a lot of work. But now that I've been in there almost every week and been, you know, and down here you're allowed to bait and I've been throwing out a little salt on the ground in a couple of places too, just, just trying to kind of get inventory of what's going on. Mm -hmm. And, um, anyways, now I'm, I've talked myself into it and I'm like, I'm packing freaking tree stands in there. And so next what, week, what kind of tree stands are you going to pack into there? So I, I have a couple, um, Hawk he, or the, uh, Hawk tree stands they are the helium XLs mm-hmm. and they're like 13 pounds and they're, they're lighter. Um, but then I also have a couple other tree stands that are just some we've been using for whitetail hunting for years. And, um, they're like, you know, just like, Oh, I think one of them is like an old Remington stand and one is an old, um, Ameristep tree stand. And, um, those ones are steel, steel stands, but they're like 18 to 20 pound stands. Like they're heavy. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. I'm like, you know, but I think I'm going to pack those in too. And I don't really care about leaving those and I might leave them. So if I go back into hunt, if I don't kill here, um, I can go hunt, you know, in the late season and have a stand dirty up there. Do so, you have, do you have the option to go into November on, I, I can't remember how that season. Yeah. to November 30th, if you don't kill. Okay. And so you've got basically August 15th to November 30th to kill. And gotcha. um, so you've got a long time. However, knowing what I'm, what I know now and seeing what I've seen on my cameras here the last couple of days and, and weeks here, um, I'm, I'm, this is why the tree stand things coming into play. Cause I'm like, okay, I can do what I do with them white tail. I'm just going to pack these suckers in there, set them up. I know these deer are coming by here like every day and they're going to feed, but they're coming in on these trails and it's like the big bucks. It's, it's like you're hunting one or two deer. You're not hunting like 20 deer here. Like you're hunting like one or two, but I'm being specific because 
like I want to kill a big buck, you know? And, um, anyways, I'm going to pack these tree stands in, I'm going to hang them. And uh, that's going to be my, my goal. So I'm just going to like sit in these suckers every day, you know, for the first like week and a half a season until I kill one of these big bucks. And for me, it's more of, yeah, I could probably go and, you know, set up in some different spots and shoot, you know, a little four point buck, you know, or three point if I want to shoot just a buck. But it's like, for me, yeah, I have like this desire. I'm like, I want to kill like 180 inch plus deer and I want to do it, you know, in this area because it's kind of like, you know, this nostalgia of, you know, Utah and, you know, I, like I just, I want to do it to say I've done it. Cause there's been some other good hunters that have came and hunted this area and killed some giants. And for Dude, me, you, you just have the tag, you have the opportunity for a big buck where you're at. I, I, that, that unit that you've, you've got, man, I'm telling you, don't waste it on a little three point unless he's like this super wide, you know, 160, 170 inch three point. But oh, he's dying. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And they they exist down there. Yeah. Um. And so it, it's such a it's such a good spot, and especially if you guys are serious, you're not you're not going to be in Utah long. I would definitely take the opportunity. Um, they're in there. They're so yep. in there and, and you're, you're a good deer hunter, dude. I wouldn't, I wouldn't do, uh, I wouldn't cut yourself short um, because I did. I, I said, you're, you're talking to a guy when, when my wife and I moved back to Utah and spent a few years there, um, I, I took advantage of, uh, of as much hunting as I could, especially with the mule deer. And sure. this, you know, I, I, elk hunting was kind of a, you know, secondary thing to mule deer back in those days. But uh, there's a spot that I would go to that's real similar to the terrain that you're going to be hunting. Uh, however, it's central Utah. It's similar elevation, similar terrain, all, all these different. And, and again, I'm, I'm always super careful about not mentioning like units and yep. specific areas on the, on the, on the show. Because uh, I don't want to screw the guy over that's down there that's got a tag this year and, and hunts it every year kind of thing, okay. you know. Right. Um, my father-in-law used to go and we'd be flinging arrows all over the place. We never sat in tree stands. We, we'd, we'd come across these deer would come out of nowhere. And these, these big bachelor groups always led by a big four or a five point buck, you know, and, and they're just massive velvet covered, uh, majestic high mountain mule deer bucks. And we had a ball, man, just an absolute ball chasing these bucks all over these mountains and uh flinging arrows and and you know he he was one of those dudes well he he is one of those dudes that has this policy like if if arrows ain't flying they ain't dying kind of thing yeah yeah and and i i understand that concept but at the same time i'm a lot more cognitive nowadays of like i'm not taking that kind of shot anymore and just hoping for the best like i i it has to be a pretty keen in shot but the point being is I know the area you're hunting. It's real similar to the area that I used to hunt, and and I've hunted where you're going. Uh, yep. Yeah, definitely don't cut yourself short, man. You've got a great opportunity there. Yeah, I hope so. I mean, I, I learned a lot last year, and and now that I kind of just know what's going on, and knowing that there's other people in the area, you know, and stuff like that. Uh, to me, it's it's like I'm playing defense. You know, I know all, I'm fine. Like opening day. Like, I don't want to go sit out in these meadows and try and like put a buck to bed and spot and stock it. I'm going to be sitting in the dark timber and I'm hoping that some other people just happen to bump these deer because I know they're going to go right where I'm sitting. Mm -hmm. And so I'm going to kill one 
And then I'm going to be packing that buck out that they just saw and bumped. And so, you man, know, man, that, that you have such a good, there's a strong possibility that'll happen. I have killed a few bucks in Utah because of that very thing. See, I've heard people say that, that like, you know, you play the defense here, you know, and, and it's like, so that's what I'm trying to do. And like, you just said it, you know, and so, um, I'm kind of hoping that my fingers are crossed and I'm on the right path this year, but, um, yeah, I, I don't know. I'm like stoked for you, man. If I, I would love to come down and just kind of, I I'd come down and be your cameraman for, for that hunt. It's just not going to happen in August this year. <laughs> sure. it, it would be awesome. And, and, and I actually, and on top of packing these tree stands in, um, mm-hmm. I bought a couple of camera arms so I can hang them in the tree and, and self film this thing. And I, like, I'm literally, my dad's like, you're nuts for packing all this crap in there as far as you're going. And, um, I'm like, yeah, Hey, maybe, but guess what? Like, you know, I just, I want to do it. And like, I've got this desire to make it happen. And I think, that's kind of where, you know, you come back to the, the keep hammering thing or Dan state and talking and, and stuff like that, the motivating motivational people. And for me, it's like, I think about that stuff and I'm like, huh? Okay. Like I've killed elk. I've killed a bunch of whitetails and I do have 193 inch mule deer from Washington that I killed. And like, that's a big buck. And, but I'm like, I really want to kill one of these big velvet mule deer. I mean, like mm-hmm. I've seen them dead on Instagram and Facebook and I'm like, I want to do this. I'm going to make it happen. And I think, and then I start thinking, you know, my dad, oh, it's so far and this and that, and you're going to carry yourself packing it in there and blah, blah, blah. But then I start thinking, I'm like, well, I don't know. Cam would probably do it. Like Dan would do it. Yeah. You know, these lampers would do it. And yeah, so like. Dirk I could said, do it, man. Dirk, Dirk yeah. he's super committed dude too. Yeah, and and so is Phelps, man. Like yeah. these these guys that you're you're talking about, that's what's nice about having guys like you and Dirk and Phelps and Dan Staten and and Cam Haynes. You you guys are the guys that motivate the rest of us to go further, be better, be more committed, go the extra mile, sweat a little bit more, all that stuff that you know maybe we might have in the back of our head where well man it's been a long day it's probably time i'm i'm going to pack it out and and just get back in the truck and go home for the night where where when we have we, when we have guys like you and and the other guys that we're talking about it it helps keep us in the field it motivates me and i know i speak for a lot of hunters when i say that like those guys wouldn't be packing it out right now they'd go another mile they'd go in, uh, over the next ridge and uh, that's why I get excited about talking to guys like you for, for the show, because it's, it's a huge deal and it goes a long way in terms of motivation. Yeah. And, and I think that and you're right on that, you know, and, and it's, it's one of those things that like, for me, like if I could just motivate someone to go out and just keep going and, and make it happen. I mean, that that's enough for me. I mean, I just, I love seeing people successful mm-hmm. and, and that to me is I would rather see everyone else successful just as much as I am. You know what I mean? It's like, I want to see people succeed because it, it brings joy, you know? And, and it, at the same time, it's like, there's just that feeling of like, man, I did this. And you know what? And maybe sometimes it's never, it's not comfortable. Maybe it does suck. And maybe you're out late and it's cold, or maybe, you know, you kill one and you're packing until two or three in the morning. Like it does suck. But at the same time, it's like, once you've done it enough, your, your mental side is like, oh, I can do that. Like I've done mm-hmm. it before. I can do this. And I think a lot of people don't understand or know how far they can push themselves that, 
or they haven't put themselves in a situation where they're packing meat at three in the morning and you know, it's pitch black pouring rain type of stuff or snowing that they, they just don't, they're like, they don't like being uncomfortable. And, um, I think that that's kind of one of the biggest things for me, like in, honestly, is the mentality side. When I leave the truck, I don't leave the truck thinking, Oh man, I hope I kill one. Like I leave the truck thinking I'm killing one and I'm not coming back to the truck until I kill one. And so like, it's a great mentality. Yeah. And and I've just had it for a long time and you know, not, I'm not successful every day, obviously, because obviously it'd be a one day hunt if it was that, that was the case. But it's like, if I'm backpack hunting or whatever I'm doing, it's like, um, I just have the mentality of like, today could be the day. And I like, I'm not coming back until I gave it 110% today. And then, well, didn't happen. We're doing it again tomorrow. But it's like, I don't leave the truck thinking, oh, well, I hope today's the day. No. Like, if you think like that, it's like, you're already putting yourself in a little bit of a disadvantage. Whereas you go out there, it's like, you're going to win the race. Like, I'm going to win and I'm getting there, you know, and Mm -hmm. you push yourself harder. And so... I don't know. For me, I don't, I've, I've never, like we talked about this kind of in the elk collective a little bit, um, with the guys. And it's like, I didn't grow up playing a bunch of team sports. I mean, I played basketball and baseball and stuff like, you know, middle school and, and, you know, whatever. Um, but a lot of stuff I did growing up. I mean, I, I started fishing. I caught my first steelhead, you know, at five years old and on my own and like, uh, snowboarding and golf and, uh, you know, hunting and, stuff like that, skateboarding and stuff that was like kind of more individual that kind of pushed you as a, you know, an individual person. Yeah. And like motocross, like I started racing when I was like, you know, five, six years old and raced all the way through high school. And like, I have a full blown motocross track at my dad's house. And like, that was my life. And I loved it because, you know, at the time it was like either one or you lost, like, yeah, you might get second or third, but you weren't, if you didn't win, like you didn't, you weren't getting a trophy. Like, you know, it was kind of like you had to go figure it out and it like go back out and do it over. And Mm -hmm. so I just feel like it kind of made me tougher, like as an individual. And like, that's what I love about hunting. I mean, obviously certain things hunting, you got teammates there, you know, like guys calling elk or helping, you know, spot and do this and that and like, whatever. Mm -hmm. But when it comes down to it, you're really pushing yourself and, you know, especially on a backpack style hunt or something like that, where you're out there living off your back for days at a time. And it's like, okay, I better figure out inside real quick, what's going to make myself, you know, tick and work and how am I getting through this and, you know, keep going every day because you're sore and things aren't necessarily as peachy as they were on day one. And you might've had some misses or something along the way. And I just, I don't know. I know not everyone's built like that, but for me, it's kind of the, Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to go push myself to the end and, and make this happen and see what, what I'm made of, I guess, you know? Yeah. I love it, man. I love it. What would you say personally is like the number one factor of elk hunting, or I'm sorry, I I didn't mean to say elk, uh, just hunting in general, hunting success consistency, like the guys that consistently get it done. Is there, is there like one or two things that you could think of? We just talked about, 
you know, pushing it further, does that have a lot to do with it? Or, you know, kind of give us your take on that. Yeah, I think that. And I also, I think like time, time spent in the woods. I mean, I'm fortunate that I do what I do and I'm able to spend a lot of time in the woods, you know, and and throughout the fall and stuff like that. And I think that's kind of one of the biggest things that a lot of these guys, you know, that you see, it's kind of, John, you, you, you cut out just a bit there. And and I think that was my fault. Can can you say that again? I'm sorry. Yeah, no, you're you're all good. Um, I think that, that the, the second biggest thing aside from pushing yourself, you know, is just time spent in the woods. Um, a lot of guys that you see the Lampers, the Cam Haynes, Phelps, myself, Dirk, whoever, you, what people don't realize, it's like we spend a lot of time in the woods and I'm pretty fortunate to be able to do that. But at the same time, it's like maximizing those days spent in the woods and, and where I'm going and, and, and whatnot. And a lot of guys, I think, um, when, when it comes down, you know, it's like, what if I only have seven days? Well, okay. If you, if you only have seven days to hunt and you know, that's it, you better find some time to scout at least during the summer a little bit, maybe, you know, if it's, you know, e-scouting, whatever it is, but when it gets out there and when you get out there and you only have those seven days to hunt, it's like the, that's when the pushing yourself comes in. Cause you got to make it happen in that time frame. But I would say that the time spent in the woods learning throughout the year off season, I mean, that's the thing. We all spend a bunch of time in the woods, even when it's not hunting season, trying to learn what animals are doing, learn where they're at. Um, And and I, I guess that's it. Like just time. I think time. I think you, uh, you nailed something really important there in to, to kind of expand on what you said there. I know a lot of guys that are super motivated to be uh, successful hunters. They're, they're real passionate about getting out there and being successful and notching tags. And they talk about it all year long. They buy all the high-end gear. They spend a bunch of money. And then when, it, when push comes to so- shove, and I'll, I'll just use September elk hunting as an example. September elk hunting rolls around and they spend five days total in the field. You know, a couple right. of weekends with an extra day off kind of situation. And I would, I would throw out there and I would suggest that what you said about being able to spend time in the woods, and I understand if you're a guy or gal that has, you know, toddlers at home or your spouse is pregnant or, or there's certain circumstances where you only have a couple of days a season or seven days a season, that's understandable. That's not permanent right? I mean, I didn't hunt like I do now when my kids were little. Sure. So, so that's all understandable, but you cannot expect to have consistent success if you're only spending a couple of weekends a season in the field. And I see this over and over and over again, time will put you in the woods, which will put you into circumstances that will give you experience to hone your craft and hone your skills and also put you into the circumstances where you're going to run into these animals that you can notch a tag on. And so I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because that's, that's something that I think about a lot is people that, that want to be so successful, but they don't prioritize the time. Like you've got to figure it out no matter what the dynamics are at home. If, if your wife is not you know, super big on, on, on having, letting you go for a week out in the woods, which, which is what you need. 
uh, you need to figure out how to make her okay with that. And, and how I did that is I gave my wife the rest of the year, but hunting season is, is a time where I won't go to weddings. I won't go to family functions. I won't help my friends paint their house. I don't go on uh, family vacations, any of that during the, from, from September through about mid November, those that's my time. But the rest of the year, my wife tells me what we're doing on the weekend. My wife tells me what we're doing during the week, what plans, what vacation she wants to go on. And I'm okay with that because she is super cool about my hunting season and my hunting time because she knows that's what makes me tick. And so I, I, I don't know, I, I guess that could be a whole conversation in its own. And you kind of got me on a, on a rant here. Uh, <laughs> but, but time is one of those things that I get frustrated with certain people about because they don't spend enough time, yet they kind of, you know, sometimes they, they make it sound like everything's unfair because they didn't, they didn't tag out, right? Well, you didn't commit the time necessary to make it happen, man. And, and, and I want you to, I want you to make it happen. And what that's going to take is time. Exactly. End of rant. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm with you a hundred percent. And I, and I think for me, that's like my biggest thing here with the mule deer thing this year is I know I've already been up there. I've, already put in a ton of time scouting and hiking those hills and everything. And it's kind of almost like one of those things that you put in that much time, like you almost feel like you're deserving of, okay, I've punched the time card. Now I'm, I'm able to go kill a deer, you know? And I've met people that spend more time scouting than they do actively hunting. Oh, for sure. I mean, I know, <laughs> you know, and, and that's know. good. Yep. I know several guys like that. And, uh, but you're right though, when it comes down to hunting, I mean, I, I have a lot of people that, you know, they're like, man, oh, you shot another big whitetail this year. And I'm like, yeah, if you knew how much time I spent preparing each year to kill those deer, you would think twice and you wouldn't be sitting over here saying, oh yeah, he just, he killed another big buck. He must be on private property or this or that, or he's got him tied up. No, yeah. like I literally spend a ton of time and, and when I was living in Washington, I mean, you know, it was a six hour drive just to get to where I was going. And I mean, I was hunt, I would do it two, three weekends in a row right before season opened, not counting other stuff, but the weekends leading up until it opened, I was over there leaving on a, you know, Friday night, maybe at midnight or, you know, Friday morning, you know, at 3am driving. And I would go spend the weekend and drive all the way back home and turn around the next weekend and go do it. And then when it came to hunting, I mean, in 2015, I sat 13 and a half days in the same tree stand before I killed my buck. And Holy cow, man. Yeah. I mean, think, awesome. about, think about that for a second. 10 and a half hours a day for 13 and a half days before I killed my deer. In the last three days, it was one degree and I sat there all day. And wow. That's so, amazing. Yeah. It's like when people sit here and think that, Oh, I just go out and shoot one. No, like I almost spent two full weeks sitting in a dang tree that year before I killed a deer. And you know, yes, I'm fortunate to be able to do that, but Hey, like most guys, there's, there's no way they do that. Maybe Troy. And I know some other guys that would, but like, yeah, Troy, Troy would man. Troy would. I talked his, I, I talked his boy Jess into taking me bass fishing, man. Oh yeah. 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 They're, they're slaying it on the bass tournament. So Jess is going to take me out bass fishing, but no, Troy, like you and Troy, I think it, what it'd be cool is to have like a whitetail, a mountain whitetail summit where it's, it's you and Troy 
and and you guys are like kind of giving your different perspectives. And sure. hey, that's what we got to do, John. Let's we start should. the the Whitetail Collective. There we go. That would be I, I'd be all for it. Like, <laughs> I, I love right? them. I mean, yeah, and like guys, you know, they talk about mule deer and elk, and like don't get me wrong, like I love elk, you know, as much or more than whitetail, but like. I love whitetails and there's something about them to me that, I mean, I don't know. I just have like this burning desire, you know, and maybe it's like until I kill a 200 inch buck, like in the mountains, I'm not going to be satisfied type of thing, you know, but like, I, I I don't know. It's like, I just love the, you never know what's going to come out, but at the same time, you kind of know what's in the area, but yeah, whitetail hunting to me, it's, it's, trying to outsmart those big old wise bucks. That's what you grew up doing though, right? Yeah. That and hunting elk. I mean, yeah. So I think, I think that that, that ties into a lot of the passion behind it. See, I, I love hunting whitetail and, and, uh, my priority is hunting elk, but my lifelong passion is mule deer. And that's because that's, that's where, where I was raised, you know, and, and that's where the memories are and, and where, where this whole hunting thing got into my blood was, was hunting these high mountain mule deer, uh, with my dad and, and, and family and, and, and getting out there, uh, and, and going after them. And, and we weren't particularly that great at it and we weren't particularly that, that horrible at it, you know, but we went out and when you do that as a kid, there's, there's always that one thing that really stands out. And for me, it's mule deer and pheasant hunting. Uh, those are childhood things yep. and, and, and obviously fishing, but that's a whole other topic. But, um, so for you, uh, it, it's whitetail and, and that's your connection. And so I think, I think I totally understand what you mean by that. Yeah. It's, I mean, kind of like those memories, you know, as like you have growing up and it's like, you know, I think all of us can relate, you know, I mean, it's like riding your first bike and like where you rode that bike and stuff like that. I mean, you kind of just mm-hmm. gravitate towards those things. Right. And so I think for me, obviously that's why I love the whitetail thing is, you know, obviously it helps too when you're successful at it because, you know, I mean, there's, you go hunting and like, if you don't, if you're not successful or you go to a certain area and like you get skunked, you're like, Oh, well, hmm, maybe I'm going to, rethink this for next time. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, for sure. So I don't for know, sure, I, man. I think that's just kind of the draw there, but yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I love it. I love elk and obviously the elk collective and you know, that that's a big passion of mine too. And, and the guys that I surround myself with are all diehard elk hunters. And, and I, you know, don't get me wrong. Whitetail are not like a big bull screaming, running through the woods at you. And so yeah, totally I mean, different. Yeah, they're different. And so, I mean, it, it's got its own place. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's, but that, I think, I don't know, this year, for some reason, I got that mule deer itch. And I think it's just because of last year and everything going on and knowing I should have killed a big buck and, well, several. And, um, you know, now I'm kind of like, all right, I'm going to take some of what I know and I love and I learn. like, let's go and figure it out. You know, I'm then, stoked. I'm stoked for you, man. I think you're going to have a hell of a season. I, I think that's going to be just a, just like this, one of those epic hunting experiences that are, is really going to stand out in your mind. Um, and, and especially cause there's like this timetable on it in terms of, you know, what, what you and your wife have determined how long you're going to live in Utah and, and being able to get that particular tag. Um, it's, it's just going to be a great season. I'm, I'm really excited for you. Yeah. Uh, I just, I, you know, I, w- what we need to do, John is I'd love to get you 
on the show to talk specifically about mountain whitetails, like yep. I did with Troy Pottinger. Yep. Um, because I, we, we covered a ton of ground and we, we we're going, we're running long here, yep, but, yep. um, which I don't mind, but I've, I've noticed, uh, there's, there's a time frame I need to keep these things within. <laughs> and so, yeah. um, I, I really want to dive into <clears throat> some of your white, whitetail hunting techniques. So what, what if we, um, uh, maybe had agreed that, that maybe you come back on the show after, after your season with mule yeah. deer. Yep. And so you can give us a recap of, of mule deer okay. uh, up, up there in, in that unit. I almost say it almost every time. I'm trying not to say <laughs> it. Uh, up in that unit. <clears throat> okay. And then we could spend a few minutes recapping the, that season and go into some whitetail details. Okay. Uh, I think that'd be a cool episode. Yeah, I'm all for it. I mean, there's, there's a lot of stuff about whitetail I could share too, and especially do it before we get into November type of stuff. It'd be good. Yeah, yeah. That's what I'm thinking. Like if, if we get you back on in like October-ish. Hopefully, awesome. hopefully you've got that 180 inch uh, mule deer. Um, yeah, I hope it's so. I hope it's bigger, but we'll go with 180. I'm happy with that. <laughs> I'd be tickled with a 180, man. <laughs> oh man, don't get me wrong. If, if I see 180, it's dying. But um, last I, year I saw one buck, and I'm pretty sure I seen him again this year. The other day, but he was like 205 to 215 last year. Holy cow! And, um, yeah, he was a giant. I should have killed him opening day. But Dude, they um, get so big down there. It's amazing. Like I'm still kicking myself and losing sleep at night over missing this mule deer here in Idaho that was like 160-ish. And I was I was because you know, we just don't get those 200 inch right. mule deer up in this part of uh, Idaho. There's there's other sections in in Idaho where the, sure. Sure, but, sure. But where I'm at, I, I and maybe I'm just kind of a shitty hunter and I haven't found them. I, I don't know, but I, I have not seen them on my trail cams. I haven't seen them anywhere. And so, yeah. um, it, it's, it's going to be interesting to see I, that, that buck I missed last year. He's got another thing coming, man. I got, I got a new rifle and a scope and everything. I'm not, there's no more open sight stuff on him. Oh, he's dead. <laughs> and so we'll see how it goes, man. I'm a yeah. lot better with a bow than I am with a rifle. I, I, I don't really know how to shoot with a scope. So, uh, oh it's going to be a new learning experience for me. There you go. Figure that one out. Yeah, man. We'll, cool. we'll try it. No, this yep. has been awesome, man. I yeah, appreciate absolutely. it. Absolutely. I'd love Shoot. to come back and talk about the whitetail stuff for sure. Okay. Let's, let's plan on that. Uh, and I'm serious. I, I, I say that to a lot of guests and I feel like sometimes they don't, they don't think I'm serious. I, it, it, I, I'd love to have you back on to, to dive into that stuff. Yeah. Uh, and, and, you know, we're going to have to, we're going to have to kind of work together to keep Dirk in line because of his age and yeah. cognitive abilities, things like that. Yeah. And uh, we'll work on that. But I appreciate you coming on the show and uh, look forward to next time for sure. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. No, thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of the Western Huntsman podcast. Glad you joined us. If you liked that episode, please tell a friend and let me know what you thought at jimatthewesternhuntsman.com. And don't forget to check out our show sponsors. The links are in the show notes. Stay Western, and I'll see you on the mountain. Mm-hmm.